Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. This week's show is all about taking a closer look at all critters while using the right optics for the situation. It's kind of, I don't know, it's been in my experience anyway, that Western hunters understand the importance of optics a hell of a lot more than the average whitetail hunter and this makes sense like at least to some extent when you consider you know the big country that western critters live in letting your eyes with the right optics do a lot of the walking saves you well a lot of walking whitetails in their tighter confines they just don't require the same long distance effort typically the truth is glassing is a skill that will benefit all big game hunters and it's something worth understanding which is what this episode is all about. I'm currently reading one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's books on, well, you guessed it, space. For those who don't know, Tyson is an astrophysicist who has a knack for explaining big, complicated concepts in a way that even a knuckle-dragger like me can understand. In one of the chapters of this book, Tyson explains a concept that made me instantly think about hunting. In it, he breaks down how when you're interested in learning about space, you either need to take a really close look via a high-powered satellite or a probe, or you need to back way, way out and look at certain things in a zoomed out type of style. Is that confusing? Well, let me paraphrase a little more so I can contextualize it better. The two examples he uses are 
What if you had a guy walking in front of you on a sidewalk and for whatever reason, you needed to see the inscription on his class ring? Even at like 20 feet, you'd see a guy walking and could maybe catch a glimpse of the ring on his finger, but you sure as hell couldn't read it unless you were crossbred with a red-tailed hawk or maybe an eagle. You'd need to zoom in or get closer. And the closer you get, the more details you can see. Eventually, you could even pull out a magnifying glass and study the ring to see the inscription in true detail. That level of magnification and distance would allow you to resolve all of that detail into something that makes sense. In contrast, he pointed out, this wouldn't work with a Renaissance-era painting. Now, If you started at six inches from the painting with a magnifying glass, you'd be able to see individual brush strokes and clumps of different colors of paint but it wouldn't make much sense to you as a scene. You'd need to back up to a reasonable distance to see what the painting actually depicts. In space, if you want to understand these examples, you could pick any random exoplanet out there circling its respective star and zoom in with something like the James Webb Telescope. Yet, if you wanted to see the shape of our galaxy, the Milky Way, for example, you'd actually need to get quite a ways away from it to look back and see that it isn't just a blob of stars and space dust. Instead, is actually a spiral-armed galaxy rotating around Sagittarius A, a big old black hole that is holding the whole thing in place. Sometimes you need to get close. Sometimes you need to be far away to understand what you're looking at. You know where this probably matters more to you personally than in astronomy? That's right. Golf. Just kidding. Hunting. Now, I'm bending this idea a little to fit what I want to talk about, because really, if you're using a spotting scope or binoculars, you're getting a closer look. But there is a difference in glassing styles, and there is a difference in the benefit to watching the world with, say, like, I don't know, 8x40 binoculars versus an 85mm spotting scope, something with maybe like a 60 power zoom. So acknowledge that, and we will just forget that I didn't start this with a imperfect analogy. Glassing is important. If you hunt out west for mule deer or something, it might be the most important part of the hunt outside of planning a really good route for a stock. And even that only happens after you find a deer to stock. So really, it's kind of the linchpin that holds the whole thing together. Whitetails rarely die solely because a hunter got eyes on them with binoculars. But the benefits are many, and I'm going to get into them. But first, I want to talk about how most hunters glass, sort of I don't half-ass-like. And I'm including myself in this assessment, so don't take it personally. Now, I did think I was pretty good on the binos until I started hunting with a buddy of mine who lives in Colorado. The first time we really got together in a place where we could glass, we met up in North Dakota to hunt whitetails and mule deer in the Badlands. And during one particularly windy midday, we decided to go see if we could scan the countryside to pick up a buck. I knew, wrongly I might add, that this was going to be a lost cause, or at least I thought it was mostly going to be a lost cause. The bucks out there get pressured pretty hard, and they aren't prone to bedding in the wide open where they're easy to see. They tuck into the wooded draws and the cedars, and they don't give themselves up too often. So when we started glassing, Tyler and I set up a spotting scope on a good tripod just below the lip of a cliff to keep us out of the wind. I sat next to him while he was on that spotting scope and I put my binos to my eyes and I did a quick you know, perimeter sweep. I also announced that I didn't see anything and he probably wouldn't either. And anyway, it took him about 27 seconds to find two mule deer does that I had completely missed. And they were on their feet and not all that far away, so it was kind of embarrassing for me. 
And in a couple of hours, we scoured the distant hills for deer. He kicked my ass all over the countryside. It was actually pretty embarrassing. And it reminded me of two things. I was not a patient and thorough glasser, and I had the wrong tool for that job. I was looking big picture with the binos while he was zooming in and digging deep with a spotter. Ever since then, I've tried to be more disciplined in my glassing and keep the right tools for the job handy. Here's the thing. I think every hunter, no matter what type of big game he or she targets, should have a spotter with a decent tripod and a decent pair of binos. Most whitetail hunters will probably disagree. That's fine. It's my podcast. I'm going to make the case for it anyway. When it comes to a decent spotter with a decent tripod, the buy-in is a little rough, but good optics are usually backed by great warranties, and they last a long, long time if you take care of them. It's a buy once, cry once situation, and it's worth it in my opinion. The same goes for binos. Cheap binos are almost a liability, while mid to high price binoculars are an asset. Again, listen, I realize this is up to an individual's personal finances, but an investment in optics will pay off much better than nickel and diming yourself every season, buying bottles of dopey and scent wicks and shit like that. This is true if you plan to never leave the whitetail woods and unquestionably true and super important if you do plan to leave the whitetail woods to travel to the mountains or the plains. Since most hunters are probably way more open to buying binoculars than a spotter, I'm going to start there. For me, I don't want anything less than 10 power. That might seem like overkill if you're a big woods whitetail hunter. I don't think it is. The difference in weight from these little six or eight power binos to a 10 power is, in my opinion, kind of negligible. doesn't really matter. But the ability to scan the woods and the fields effectively is noticeable. A common size is a 10 by 40, which is 10x zoom and a 40 millimeter objective lens. This also equates to a four millimeter exit pupil, which is the part that allows light to your eyes. Now, a 10 by 50 would have the same magnification, but a five millimeter exit pupil, or put it another way, just to allow more light to reach your eyes. At noon on an antelope hunt, it's not going to matter. 15 minutes before dark on a whitetail hunt, it will. Now, either of these specs will give you a decent field of view. Now, if you try to go beyond 10x in magnification, you'll be able to zoom in on details far, far out. But you'll also find that holding them by hand leaves you a little shaky, and you might be kind of wishing for a tripod. You'll also experience a smaller field of view. You know, you'll notice that binoculars or, you know, binocular manufacturers, they advertise all kinds of prisms and coatings that might not make much sense to you. They'll tout something like twilight factor, which is found by taking the objective lens and then multiplying that by the magnification, then looking for the square root of that number. I'll save you the time and the math and say that 10 by 50s are better in low light than 8 by 32s. The truth is, binoculars tend to perform commensurate to their price tag, and that kind of sucks. A $200 pair with the same specs as a $1,000 pair is going to be built differently. It's going to be less quality, almost guaranteed. A $1,000 pair compared to another $1,000 pair is a different story. Playing with a few models in your price range will let you see which ones you like better. But I've gone off track here a little bit. This isn't a binocular buying guide. It's about how you use them. Scratch that for a second, because I see a hell of a lot of whitetail hunters who don't use them. You don't see that out west, but in the whitetail woods, it's pretty common. If you don't use them, you're missing out. 
literally. Think about it this way. What if you're on the edge of a soybean field in late September and the sun tucks below the horizon and the clock is ticking? It's 10 minutes before last light and you see in the far corner of the field the, the shape of a deer that's out there feeding. It's just a gray blob at that point to your naked eye. You wonder, I don't know, is it a buck or a doe? If it's a buck, is it a big one? You could know all those details and probably make a pretty good guess on where the deer came out from the woods from just with a quick glassing session. Without it, you're just getting less information to work off of. With it, you might be able to kill him the very next night because you'll know what he is and probably where he came from. Simple, right? And what if you're sitting in the woods, the big woods, let's say, and you catch some movement in the distance? It's a deer, you're sure of that, but you can't see any details because it's too thick. Again, you don't know what kind of deer, you don't know what it's doing, and you're basically running on low info. But you throw binos up to your eyes and you see that's a buck, and he's nibbling away on some kind of plant back and forth, nom nomming his heart out. How actionable is that for you? The thing is, Good binos help you become a better decision maker out there. They aren't solely for seeing animals, and that's it. You can see animals, and then you can watch what they do, which is the important part. You can glass up the trails they take, the brush they browse on. You can use binos after you shoot, and you're on the blood trail. You can use them to look for the arrow in the grass from your stand, see if it's covered in blood at all. Decide if you should get down or you should wait. You can take them out west and scan the sagebrush for a group of antelope or a meadow in the high country while you try to see if there's a wallow in there somewhere that an elk might visit. It's a shortcut to walking and a shortcut to guessing on what you're actually seeing. The key is getting used to them. So I'm going to offer a shameless plug here. Whatever binos you have or plan to buy, buy a good bino harness to go with them. We've been using the FHF gear FOB the last year and this isn't just because Meat Eater owns the company. I'm being honest. It's the best bino harness I've used. I freaking love that thing. And it goes with me just about any time in the woods from shed hunting season all the way through the last days of the deer season. I keep it in my truck when I'm pheasant hunting and when I'm scouting turkeys. A good bino harness is important because you won't maximize your bino usage if your optics aren't convenient to get to. Trust me on this. It's important. Now, of course, it's not all about just binoculars. I have sort of a weird thing with spotting scopes in that I try to find all kinds of uses for them. Naturally, if I'm working on a mule deer tag or an antelope tag, I have a spotter with me. For whitetails, all summer long, you guessed it. Sometimes during the season, too, if I'm trying to figure out exactly where they are feeding or watering right now so I can try to kill them tonight or tomorrow. I even started using a spotter to scout turkeys. And while that might seem like overkill, it's amazing watching birds from long range as they navigate the terrain. It allows me to set blinds for my little girls right where they need to be. And it almost feels unfair to the longbeards, kind of like running trail cameras for them. A good spotter is worth it. And for me, I like to go big. I like magnification from like 20 to 60x with a big old 85 millimeter objective lens. I look at it like it's my own James Webb telescope. I want to see things in great detail that are far away. Binoculars are great for scanning and for close range work, but a spotter changes the game on long range work. If you're going out west, 
you really don't have much of a choice except maybe for elk because you're not going to want to carry a spotter up a mountain in a lot of situations. But also for whitetails, it's something to consider. While long-range glassing has largely been replaced by trail camera usage, it's not the same thing and it never will be. Watching with your own eyes what a buck or a bachelor group of bucks does when they get into a field is a vastly different beast than a series of trail camera images. Zooming in tight to a buck and watching how he browses along a row of soybeans or approaches a distant pond to drink, that's an education you're not going to get with a trail camera. It's a front row seat to deer behavior, and that is a show worth attending. It's also a lost cause without a decent tripod. You're not a pirate there, you know, glassing other ships. When you're dealing with serious magnification, steadiness is everything. If you're not steady, you're going to be frustrated and likely feel like you're wasting your time. It would kind of be like buying an $85,000 bass boat and filling it with Snoopy poles. As it is with binoculars, spotter usage gets better the more comfortable you are. Find reasons to use a spotting scope. That turkey hunting example I just gave you might seem dumb and like overkill, like I said, but learning to use your optics in a low-stress situation is not. If you spend March and you know maybe the beginning of April glassing long beards in the cut cornfield, you'll be a hell of a lot better off when you have an expensive non-resident mule deer tag in your pocket and you're perched on some high country hogs back looking for something to stalk. If you do find something to stalk, having binoculars snugged up to your chest so you can glass for velvet tips as you close the distance is equally as important. This is maybe the best lesson of this podcast which is to learn to use your optics in real time, in high-pressure and low-pressure situations. Glassing up a shed antler in February out of a pit cornfield might not seem like it'll help you as a deer hunter a whole lot, but it will. Certain tools, like optics, need to be used and understood in a variety of situations. You want to know how to set up your eye cups, how to dial in quickly to focus on a moving animal in the distance, you want to use optics to your advantage in a real way and not just take them for granted that they might be a part of your hunt as a person who loves the outdoors. Put them to use in real situations in the off-season and then rely on them to figure out the whole thing once the season opens. Don't assume that you don't need binoculars or a spotter or the skills to use them correctly just because your hunting situation isn't the same as some western dude trying to find a 75-inch antelope out on the open prairie. Being a good, successful hunter requires that you understand how and when to take that really close look, or when it's better to sit back and take a bigger picture look at the animals and the land they inhabit, so that you can put together a plan for tomorrow, or next month, or next season, or whenever. At the very least, ask yourself what your optics game is like. Maybe you have it dialed, or maybe you could level up. If it's the latter... Work toward that goal however you have to, however you can. Because glassing is a skill that transcends in-season efforts and off-season efforts. It's valuable in the thickest woods and the widest open scenarios in which you might hunt. It's necessary, even if it doesn't always feel like it. It's also something I'm going to talk about next week. I want to break down how to figure out how to glass more efficiently in a variety of different environments and how even e-scouting can put you in the right position to use your spotting scope or your binoculars. 
That's it for this week, my friends. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. If you want more hunting content, and I'm talking videos uh, of hunts, how-to videos on how to use gear, you want articles on all kinds of stuff from obviously hunting to fishing to foraging to whatever, themeateater.com is your place. Head on over there, and you'll have all the information you need and probably a lot more that you don't need. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.